You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, November 4th. Wow, the long-anticipated November 3rd, or Election Day, has come and gone. There was that race there, then there was the other race there. Oh, and don't get me started on that other race. Dear listener, as you might have guessed, we record this in advance. Ergo, this is what they call dramatic irony, or at least a variation thereof. You, the audience, has all of the information, and me, the forlorn character, has none of the information as of yet. Forget not that it's open enrollment through November 24th. There is that small matter of a global pandemic still going on and gaining speed, as it were. So far be it from me to tell you how to live your life, but this would seem like as good a year as any to make a wise and informed choice on your coverages. I hope you enjoyed Halloween last weekend. Did you try my recipe? Well, I've got an even better holiday to tell you about. Tomorrow, November 5th, is Guy Fawkes Day. You might know it as Bonfire Night, or you might not know it at all because it's an English holiday. The story is a bit convoluted, but we'll give it a go. Flashback to 1603. My guy, Willie Shakespeare, was at the height of his powers, but merry old England mourned the death of Queen Elizabeth I. To the throne ascended King James, who carried on Queen Bessie's repressive policies toward Catholics. The Papists could not stand the oppression and hatched a series of plots to overthrow King Jimmy. Fast forward to this time in the year 1605. A few Catholic conspirators plotted to blow up the House of Parliament during the opening session of Parliament, thus taking out Jimbo and the entirety of the English government. Henceforth, they'd start a revolution and restore a Catholic monarchy. Alas, the plot was uncovered, and a certain fox was caught guarding the stash of gunpowder. Side note. He sometimes went by Guido, having spent a fair amount of time in Spain. That's not particularly relevant to our story, but amusing nonetheless. So upon hearing of the foiled plot, the entirety of England celebrated by lighting bonfires. Soon enough, November 5th was declared a national holiday and is celebrated by lighting bonfires and setting off fireworks. Remember, remember, the 5th of November. The Gunpowder Treason and Plot. As ever here at The Current Podcast, we are absolutely hapless when it comes to transitions. So on that note, I'll turn things over to Angie Liu for an interview about the Race and Climate Conversations series. Hello, everyone. This is Angie Liu, one of the project managers in the PMCI group. And I'm here with two UC San Diego lead fellows, Declan and Danny. We are here to talk about the LEAD program and the race and climate conversation sessions that they've been having with our department. I wanna start with why we decided to do this podcast. I was able to join one of the race talks about a few weeks ago where I shared something about how I struggle to have this conversation 
with my own family members. And what it did was it allowed me to continue that conversation with other colleagues. And it really got me and that colleague thinking, we should probably discuss why people should talk about race and also find out why Declan and Danny decided to join Lee. So let's start with that question of why did you guys decide to join LEAD, the Leaders for Equity, Advancement, and Diversity Fellowship Program? Hi, Angie. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm Danny Dawson. She, her, and hers. I am the Executive Director in the Office of Planning here in Advancement at UC San Diego. So I um, wanted to get involved with the LEAD Fellows Program when I heard about some of the great programming uh, things that they were doing. The LEAD Fellows is a group of individuals around campus. It includes faculty and staff members who are interested in learning more about inclusion and diversity and access and things like that. We are trained for an, during a year-long program we meet regularly and we're trained to learn more about race and these issues that affect us all and to actually have conversations similar to the race talks that we've given a few times with your department. So I was really interested in um, getting involved with the work that the lead fellows were doing. I uh, got really involved in inclusion and equity um, and diversity issues right after the election in 2016. That's what kind of energized me to really kind of get involved and in, in further this work and kind of center um, this work in my life. Hey, Angie, I'm Declan Fleming. I, he, his, him are my pronouns. I work at ITS, an enterprise architect. And I got involved in LEAD Fellows from my previous position. I worked at the library for about 15 years before I started at ITS about two years ago. And many years ago, I got involved with a group called Code for Live, which is code for libraries and working with uh, digital repository creation and all kinds of coding type things that happen at the library level. Uh, libraries are actually really fun and, and really interesting for doing technology things. It's also a, an industry that's uh, dominated by women for the most part. Um, there, are, there are a handful of those in the U.S. anyway, nursing and psychology and teaching and things like that that are run by women. But the tech within uh, the libraries is still the same normal normal breakdown that we see in the rest of the world, which is about 17 to 24% women. And uh, so I got into this because of gender and tech issues. The Code for Lib group that I was in was working, trying to figure out something called a code of conduct. It's something a lot of people have heard about them now, but about 10 years ago, it was not really, it was a new thing, mostly because of some poor behavior that had happened at a lot of conferences and no really rules around how to deal with it. So I wrote a short piece on how to um, work within our conference that touched on some issues having to do with gender and the way that we talk to each other, mostly motivated by the fact that coming from where I came from, a white male technology background, that you know, looking around and seeing there are so few women in, in, the, in the field and very, very few people of color, especially uh, African-Americans, that what, what was I doing to either help them come in or set up a wall so they weren't coming in? And what were I and people who look like me doing for that? And it was kind of a boys club and sort of a locker room mentality in some of our chat rooms and sort of ways we talk to each other and things like that. None of which I thought there was anything wrong with until I put it into more of a context and understood more about how 
there's something missing here and, and it is, is an unknown unknown. Why, why am I ignorant about this and how do I become less ignorant about that? So I talked a lot with uh, my colleagues in the library, especially my boss, Tammy Deary, at the library, and she'd heard about the LEAD program. She was one of the, in the original cohorts, as well as Jessica Hilt, who's been a friend of mine for quite some time, who was at ITS at the time, is now at the library, so we kind of swap places. And so she told me a lot about it. So I got involved. I, I applied and um, got involved and have been working ever since. And I'm so glad I'm involved now, having with all the stuff that's going on in the last few years. Gender is still a big focus of mine, but still race, racial, racial issues, racial tensions. And it's one of the reasons that uh, motivate us to work on this talk, the race talk that you went to. So the race talk that we're talking about is called the Race and Climate Conversations. And a group of people were able to experience these conversations with Declan and Danny. The PNCI group and also Cheryl's group were able to, you know, attend these sessions. And during the session that I attended, I was prompted, like I felt like I had to tell people my experience with how difficult it was to have this conversation with family members and specifically um, my husband's family who is of a different race. And it was eye-opening just to say the least um, to try to talk with someone when maybe they're not as open as you or they just have a different perspective. So can you guys tell me do you have any pointers for how to have these conversations at work, at home, anywhere? Oh, what an excellent question, Angie. And um, I always start off the, the race talks with this conversation is going to be hard. It is going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be hard. And that is okay. And the reason is because we are just not we are not equipped, we were not raised to, we were not taught to, we have not had practice with having these conversations about race. And so they are absolutely hard. And so my response to you is just have the conversation. But <laughs> I totally acknowledge that that is very, very challenging. When we were sitting here, I was reminded of a conversation that I actually have with Declan. And Declan, if we need to cut this after, we can totally cut it after. But when we met to talk with another lead fellow and we were sitting in the hive and we were having this conversation about getting prepared for the race talk and what we were going to do. And I think three people, there were three, uh, three white men walked in and you all of a sudden got very quiet and you were like, oh my gosh, is it weird that we're having this conversation right now? And we had not yet had a race talk conversation. And it just goes to show you that until we can, until we have the conversations, it's not going to become the norm. And so it's really essential that we have the conversation. Now, Angie, you asked specifically about, you know, what tips we have for having those conversations. And, you know, I have tried having these conversations in a number of different ways. I've gotten upset, I've gotten angry. <laughs> and now I've learned that if I just kind of sit and listen, with an open mind and an open heart to what this person is saying, then I can respond to that person with, you know, facts or with my truth or with the truth uh, and, and help, help people to see why what they're saying is not respectful, is potentially harmful and very offensive and, and give them like a real life uh, example and a real life reason why. 
your listeners can't see that, uh, can't see me, but I identify as biracial black. And I can bring a, you know, if I sometimes share some of the experiences that I have, the experiences that I have with my 14-year-old black son, with my 13-year-old daughter, who is very, very, very light skin with very straight hair, and we'll joke around by putting um, swastikas in the chat room and having Confederate flag backdrops on their Zoom chats and on their their chats when they're having conversations. And so if I can, and, and they don't, because they don't realize that, you know, they're not associating her with, with um, being anything other than what, what they identify with. And so if we can have these conversations about why they're so hurtful and, and give real life examples, if you have them, and if you don't, then just kind of pointing to things that are real. Look, a man put his knee on the neck of another man for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And that is completely racist. So racism still exists and we need to continue to have those conversations. So pointing those things out is a really great approach. Does it always work? No. Can you change everyone's mind? Absolutely not. But I don't think that sitting in silence is doing anybody any good. This is one of the reasons we got into giving this talk. Um, it's funny, I, I do reflect back on that conversation we had there. And I was, I've got, we've given the talk five or six times now. The first one was actually with SMT. So we've actually done one more group than, than you mentioned, Auntie. Um, So they're all, they did it and we had a great conversation with them, but I was so uncomfortable. And so um, who am I a white guy to be talking about race? And I've been really blessed in having um, Danny as my partner on this. Um, we'll have other uh, lead fellow partners as we go forward, so we don't, um, uh, I don't want to abuse Danny's time as much as I have so far, so much, I so appreciate all the help, but uh, we'll have other others helping us as well too. But if we don't talk about these things, then they fester in silence, like Danny was saying. And you talked about families, but I'll talk about work for just a second too. One of the things that's nice, especially working at university, is that we can address these sorts of issues. We ran into, well, there's lots of... Uh, misunderstanding about what one can talk about, what's what you could be fired for, what, what what bad things could happen. And at a university, especially at our university and our values here, we value um, being able to open speech and be able to talk about things and work on stuff as long as it's not offensive or, uh, or harassment or um, uh, threatening. So um, that was that came up in one of our sessions actually was just talking about fear around this and fear of just of your employment, but also fear of what other people think. And like Danny said, just sitting in that room with uh, with outsiders there with uh, the vendors actually coming in and hearing us talk about race and stuff like that. I was kind of even I, I having been trained on this stuff for a couple of years uh, with lead fellowship was still nervous about it. And I still get nervous every time we do a talk um, for, for, for various reasons. I think. I wish we could give the talk to families, like where you were talking about somehow beforehand. But we spend what a third of our time at work, um, and now that we're all at home, um, we're we're probably half of our time at work. And having an environment and a place that allows for these safe spaces to talk about this is very, very important. And setting some rules up during the talk, we talk about respect and making space and assuming good intentions. There's there's a whole bunch of stuff we talk about in the talk. That, wouldn't that be really cool if somehow we could do that with our families or, or have that talk beforehand? I was relating earlier a story that I went to visit some really good friends out in Utah who were quite conservative, and we just made a rule up front, no politics, and we kept that as the rule so that we didn't end up going into too 
sensitive a bunch of subjects for just a day trip. But I wish I could set up a bunch more rules. And that's part of what the race talk is about. It's talking about talking, which is a little bit meta. But being able to set up a set of rules just so we know that we set up, started started a, a basis of respect and work from there. And if if uh, if things get disrespectful or not uncomfortable, uncomfortable is okay. Okay, I don't know if that's the right word, but uncomfortable is necessary for anybody to learn. But disrespectful is not. And disrespectful is where the line gets crossed. So I don't know. I think you have to pick your battles with family stuff. I think you have to decide what you have to lose, uh, what you have to gain in, in doing this. I think I try to represent myself as someone who cares about a certain set of values. And if somebody crosses a line with me, I will say something. I also have a lot more capital to spend as a white male with my privilege in the society that I can do it. I can get away with that. So part of my work, um, both in the, the original code for lib work, then also later with lead, is being a bad white person, talking about uh, race, talking about the problems that are there, acknowledging them, and just taking, uh, I don't know if I take any hits for it. I don't, I, I do care, but I kind of don't care anymore. I'm getting to an age where it's like, what are you going to do to me? You know, what are you going to do to me for saying what I think is right? So, yeah, um, I don't know. It, it may be hard to do that in a family setting. I could see that. It's very difficult. But at least we at work will have, if we go through these talks, we'll have talked about talking about it. So there's a little bit more um, nuance to it. I, I want to share something um, about a conversation that I had with a family member, if I may. You know, fortunately, around my my family and my immediate families and, and further out, my our, our dinner tables at the holidays tend to be, uh, we're all very like-minded in our, I want to say open-mindedness. I don't know if that's appropriate, but we we are all, we're a completely multicultural family. And so conversations about race, well, they don't really necessarily happen. They don't really need to happen because it's, it's just kind of the way it is. But I was on Facebook um, a couple months ago and my cousin, my second cousin that I have never met face-to-face that I'm friends with on Facebook, also from Utah posted something that was horrifically offensive. And um, he is a white man. And I responded to him and it got into this kind of thing uh, with another uncle and all the stuff. And so I took it offline. Actually, he did. He sent me a message. And I responded to him back going, look, I think we have a lot to learn from each other. Can you and I have a conversation? And so we had a conversation, just the two of us outside of all of that, and, and we had a very open conversation with a lot of things that, you know, I don't know that I learned a whole lot other than that he lives in a world that is very, very small. And I think that I was very helpful in kind of opening his mind and his heart to some of the things that, you know, he has never experienced before and probably, and, and well, never will, but also didn't realize because we all live in our little bubbles in our echo chambers for the most part, right? Unless we intentionally step out of them. So after that conversation, we agreed that we were going to continue to talk. And he wrote me a message and said, I really appreciated our conversation. I have, of course, taken down that post. And I'm so sorry. I respect your agency and your your thoughts on that. And if you will, please, like if you see anything else that offends you, let me know. And also, I went through all of my old posts and I took down everything that might be terrible and I have looked through your entire Facebook page and I appreciate so much. Like I went through him, I, you know, I saw that he had started liking some of like my, my protest marches or whatever that I was doing. Right. And some of my, you know, some of those things. Um, and so it really was, you know, this really great moment. And yes, it was just one person, but now he's going to go talk to his wife 
maybe his parents, right? And, and continue that conversation. So it's just kind of expanding it. So that was a conversation I had with, with a family member that was really meaningful and respectful. That's, that's great, yes. What a great example of how just taking that step, right? Having the courage to say, hey, this is not okay with me, let's talk. Like, that's a great example. Because I don't know about you guys, but I've had a few conversations with family members where I got too emotional, right? Like, it's so, like, how do you guys control that? Because I've gotten to points where I'm screaming or I'm just, like, so confused on why I'm hitting, it felt like I was hitting a brick wall. So can you guys give me some tips on that, too? Like, how to just kind of, um, speak with a respectful tone and try to keep the emotions out of it. That is the, so hard, isn't it, Angie? I, I mean, um, you know, when you get to a point where someone is so adamant uh, about their point that they're just not listening anymore, that you find yourself completely losing control of you, of yourself, which I have completely been there too, right? And it, you do, you want to pull your hair out and you want to, it's so frustrating and you're upset and, and physically like it charged. I always find that that's a good time to take a step back um, because when you're at that point, no one is not is going to hear anything anymore, right? And, and my son the other day, he said something and I was like, that's not right. But he, he yelled it and he goes, I know that's why I yelled it. <laughs> and I was like, that's perfect, right? And so when you get to that point, they're just not, they're not hearing anything that, that, that you're saying anymore. And it's okay to take a step back and just say, you know, I'm going to step away. We're not getting anywhere. This is doing none of us any good. And maybe we can revisit it sometime. And, and I wish you well, right? Um, so I don't have any advice for it, but I, I just, you know, don't, I, I, I do, I no longer, I do my best to not let things escalate to that point. And when they do, do my best to, to de-escalate them and just, and if that means step back, I just have to step back. One of the things we touch on in the talk is understanding the emotions and the meanings of the emotions behind what's what's coming out and what's being said. And that can be that can cover a wide range of, of issues. I talk about somehow I, I tend to eat my emotions. I'm sort of a um, quiet quiet person emotionally, not uh, not technically or opinionatedly, but um, with the emotions and things. And I touch on how one of our lead talks, one of our we have these little lead meetings every once in a while to kind of see what people are doing and things like that. And realizing how much of this was kind of welling up inside me and George Floyd's murder and Brianna Taylor's murder and on and on and on and seeing these things happen and just the the lack of proper response to this. I think also maybe, and I haven't thought about this too much, but you might be thinking about it now, is think about their emotions too, the things where they go, you talked about yourself screaming or getting upset or that sort of stuff. I think we have to, once we think about this at a little bit higher level, I try not to do that or escalate, but I try to feel, I'm an empathy and empath, so I try to figure out where they're coming from, what they want. I'm going to say you do good customer service, right? You figure out where the customer's coming from, where, where the person in front of you, why are they upset, you know, on computer stuff? Why is everybody always upset with the IT person when they come talking? It's just to make them feel like they don't know what they're doing. You know, they're trying to do a technical thing um, that almost anybody should be able to do. And then they come to you and you're, you, you know, unless you're really kind and empathetic, they're going to feel like, oh, you know, more than I do kind of stuff. So if the same thing could happen with race, if, if they're, they're basically way over here and you're way over there, that creates this big gap in this big empty space between someone who you probably care about and they probably care about you, but then there's other space. So understand that emotions can fill that space and they're not necessarily positive all the time. 
And it is de-escalating is probably the best way of, of, of dealing with that, stepping back on it and not, not circling on, on the whole thing. But here's understanding where it comes from. They may be from a whole different part of the spectrum from where you are, but they also probably care as deeply as you do. So that's that's something to have in common, maybe to talk about the level of care and then maybe kind of get off of the emotion directly as if it's it's jangling you down into why it's that way kind of thing. So, but that takes a lot of pre-thought and a lot of patience um, that doesn't always come up when you're talking about somebody being killed. So it's 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 hard. Thank you guys both for that advice. I really appreciate it. So what can people do next? What can they do to, I guess, continue <laughs> the race talk if they've already done it with you guys? What can they do to uh, get the race talk on their agendas? Like, what can people do? So for in ITS, we're, um, Danny and I have given five of these talks. We started with SMT, like I said, and then we've talked to a couple other groups as well. The other managers have been given um, information about the, the talk itself. And I'm hoping also with this podcast that we can get more information out about it so we can promote it and, and uh, talk with more groups. Um, as soon as we get a critical mass, 15, 20 people, we like to do them in small groups and then we'll we'll give the talk. Like I said, Danny may help me or there may be another lead fellow that helps me do this, but I'm gonna try and be on every single one of them. That's one of the great things also about a university and our department is they've given me space, both Vince and Charlie giving me space to be able to do this work, which I really appreciate quite a bit. Other things, I mean, I'll, I'll go down one path that I started with back at the library was is allyship. It's figuring out what can I do, like I talked about earlier, about spending my white male privileged capital to help out the cause. I can promote other people, voices that aren't heard as much, promote women, promote people of color who have an issue and want to bring it forward. I used to be quite big on Twitter. Never, on, never was big on Facebook, but Twitter was something that was really near and dear to my heart. I can't even look at it anymore. Honestly, it's so sad. It's so upsetting since the election. Uh, anyway, so, but I, but hearing other voices and promoting those. So if I have a bunch of followers, I can get them seen by, by other people. Um, and listening too, um, leaving empty space. It's one of the hardest parts about the race talk or any talk is to come back from like a writing experiment. So who wants to talk next? And then just wait for a bit and not fill it with my profound white boy wisdom, you know, that, that I can, I could actually answer all these questions for you. No, there's, I learned so much more by shutting up and listening. And that allows for, for other voices who aren't as loud and obnoxious as I am to be able to get in there and say some things. So those are, those are some of the things I've worked on. So, so for allyship, I've learned some of those things. I work with a group called the ADA Initiative. They're now defunct, but they've gone into something called frame shift consulting, but all of the ADA Initiative, ADA Initiative stuff is on, the uh, internet, it's all open source and people can look at the, the curriculum for allyship and things like that. And then I've since taken their course again, since they refocused less on gender and more on race and overall equity and diversity. And it's really, really quite good. You know, Declan, I, I wanna thank you for being such an incredible ally. People ask me all the time what they can do to help. And um, I don't always have the answers. In fact, I almost rarely, I rarely have the, the answers. But I, I will tell you that I appreciate, I and my children uh, appreciate the like visuals um, and the, the actual science. Today I was driving through Del Mar's to grab lunch and every Black Lives Matter sign in a yard made me feel so good. Um, so, so, and I don't think I've ever expressed that to you before, but, but those outward like, you know, showings of support are just amazing. So again, thank you so much for being such an incredible ally. 
I mentioned I get asked what 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 can I do by a lot of my my friends uh, who are white and. I know there are a ton of resources out there. At, at UC San Diego, there's the UC, UC Learning has um, some really great resources, including the implicit bias trainings, which I think there's a group in your department that is going through together, which is amazing. And actually just taking the implicit bias trainings, um, you can just Google them. They're oh, not the trainings, but the actual tests. The implicit bias tests are so insightful. I said on an, on an interview panel this last week, and I was like, my bias is showing. And I stopped it. I mean, I was able to, like, I was, I heard somewhere that you're not responsible for your first thought, but you are responsible for your second thought and your subsequent actions. And so I recognized that I had this flat bias. I was really drawn to somebody for, you know, very obvious reasons <laughs> to me, right? And just, it was just my, my unconscious bias. And I had to totally stop it and become much more objective for this particular panel. Um, so just kind of learning about those different things that the, why we are the way we are. And, you know, there's different organizations. I, I keep hearing Standing Up for Racial Justice, which is Surge, S-U-R-J, um, is a really great organization for non-Black and Indigenous people of color who want to, to you know, help. Um, so I just think lots of, lots of resources. I know there's lots of reading groups out there who are reading things like White Fragility and talking about it. Um, so just using your resources and Googling what you can do to help is really a great next step. And please, please keep having the conversations with your families, your friends, and your colleagues about race and about inclusion and about access and equity and diversity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just stick in a thing here. You can add this out later if you want to, but just stick in here. This. Be very careful about overloading your African-American friends to train you as a, as a non-African-American person about these issues. You can ask, you can, you can say you're, you're struggling with this sort of stuff, but don't expect them to be the core of your education. They're like, just start with white fragility. I mean, that alone, will, will, that's a book, it'll get you somewhere. You're not wearing anybody else out by reading it. Mm. A lot of folks have been living this a lot longer than we've been aware of it, than others of us have been aware of it. And to turn to them and expect that, uh, that level of, of training and uh, and patience can be quite hard. And I so appreciate Danny's help on these talks. Um, as a person of color, she's added a dimension to the talks that I think has been wonderful. Um, and I, but I was very careful and we went back and forth many, many times to make sure that I was not wearing her out. And I, so I so appreciate that. And I feel like I'm, I'm saying, one hand I'm saying don't do it, but if you do, talk to people, make it a dialogue. Don't just expect that someone of color is gonna be able to teach you about these things because you don't know where they're at. You don't know what their emotions are or what, what's happened with them. There's lots of resources you can at least start with on your own. And trust me, once you get in these conversations and you get busy with this sort of work, you will find plenty of people to talk to about this. There's, they're, they're, they're out there and willing to talk. Am I said okay? Is that okay, Danny? That was amazing, Declan. Thank you so much. You guys couldn't tell, but Danny had two thumbs up for Declan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really want to thank the both of you guys for sharing your time, insights, and advice, resources, all of those things with us today. It is much appreciated. Having these talks are great for us, definitely, to be more open-minded. And also, like you both have said, it's important. We need to have these talks as a starting point if we want to change anything. So 
Thank you guys again. I appreciate your time. Thank you. That was an amazing conversation, and I'm so glad such conversations are available to us here in IT services. As they mentioned toward the end, if you'd like your department to participate in a race and climate conversation, bring that up with your supervisor or manager. On behalf of the staff here at The Current Daily and the ghost of Guido Fox, have a great day. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.